Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 231 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is New Road, an interview with Jessica Smith. My name is Richard Johannesson. And I'm Matt Zabatello. Matt, this is a Christian minister who struggled with her healing journey spiritually. She had to go through the grief cycle and ultimately get to a point where she could create something new and understand stewardship before she could heal. And interestingly, another element of this journey is Jessica had to learn the importance of not being prideful and how, although she had the best of intentions, she was engaging in prideful behavior and that interfered with her healing as well. Rich, this interview with Jessica had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. I literally went through the emotional roller coaster with her as she was telling her story. Jessica was so sick and went from having over 30 heart palpitations a day to now being fully recovered And she told us her health is even better now than it was before she got sick. Matt, I think there are two really powerful lessons that I want to point out before folks listen to this interview. The first is Jessica learned that she had to be a good steward so that she could heal, meaning as she was helping other people to heal, she herself was going forward with her healing journey. But there's a second thing. She came to understand that pride and the imposter syndrome are two sides of the same coin. And in order to be able to heal from Lyme disease, You have to make sure that you're not being prideful and you have to recognize that you are a unique and powerful person who has the ability to heal and you are not in fact an imposter. Matt, I'm really excited to introduce Jessica Smith to the Tick Bootcamp community. Hello, Jessica Smith, and welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Well, we are really excited to have you, Jessica, as you know. From our previous conversations, uh, you are somebody that we've been targeting for this podcast for quite some time. So we're really happy that um, you've been able to make the time to join us and to share your story with our community. So, Jessica, let's let's give our community a context for you. So uh, where do you currently live? Right now, I live in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Sunny City, Oregon. It's Sunny City, Oregon? Yep, Sunny City in Oregon. Well, I'm happy to hear that. I didn't know there was ever any sun in Oregon. I thought it was kind of oh, a yeah. rainy place. <laughs> so for how long have you been living there? I've been here for six years. And, and what do you do there in sunny city, Oregon? I am a local director with Child Evangelism Fellowship. So I oversee all the ministry in our area. Cool. So it's always nice to have ministers on our podcast, and we're really blessed to have you. So talk to us about uh, what your what your childhood was like, meaning where did you grow up and what kind of childhood did you have? Well, I grew up in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, so um, four, four and a half hours north of here. And let's see, I'm the oldest of seven children, so it was a fun growing up for sure. Yeah, really. You had, <laughs> you had prolific parents. Oh, yes. <laughs> busy parents, busy kids. Uh, when I was almost five, we moved out to the country. And so that's where I spent the majority of my growing up, just out on a little farm at about six acres. And yeah, it was, I'm really blessed with my childhood. It was a, a good old fashioned childhood in the modern age. So, <laughs> so, so just lots of time that. outside. Yeah, so so you so you so you grew up on a farm, mm-hmm. and of course, as as a farmer's daughter or as a farmer herself, I guess you ultimately matured into that. Uh, you were you were spending most of your time outdoors, and you had a, had an outdoorsy experience. And I'm sure there are many things that your parents taught you to keep you safe 
in what is sometimes an unsafe environment, right? Farming can be dangerous. There are a lot of injuries that people suffer on farms. And I'm sure if you had, uh, if, if you engaged in any animal husbandry, there were some risks that would come along with, with uh, tending to animals. So talk to us about what kind of risks there were on the farm and how your parents taught you to be safe in that environment. I don't really remember a whole lot of that because I don't know, we just, we just lived our life and didn't do stupid things. <laughs> we, for having so many kids in the family, it was really surprising how little injury we really had. Um, there was a couple broken bones here and there, but nothing really ever happened. Um, we, you know, we, we just were careful. We took care of ourselves and yeah, it, it, so, so, it just so didn't come up, really. So, all right, well, but let's talk more about that, Jess. So, so you're, you're, you're living on a farm. You're outside all the time. Did, did you have any animals on your farm? Yeah, um, we had, well, I raised goats. I started raising goats when I was 12. And so that was, that was the large livestock we had for a while. We had some steers that we raised for beef and um, some family friends had their dairy cow at our place for over a year. Um, so I did learn that if the cow charges you, you kick her in the nose. So <laughs> that was one, one safety thing. Um, we had chickens, ducks, um, dog, cat, just the, your average. So now were, were there any predators you had to protect your livestock from? And were there any diseases or any other kinds of things that you had to protect your livestock from? Um, we had coyotes, uh, once or twice, uh, raccoons occasionally, but not a whole lot as far as predators is concerned. Um, as far as diseases, yeah, there was times when chickens would just up and die. And I was trying to figure that out. And I just, I kind of liked animal husbandry. I liked to playing vet or whatever. That's kind of what I wanted to be when I was really little. And um, so with the chickens, with the goats, I had uh, I had a goat that had uh, like a, a disease that causes abscesses. And so I studied that a lot. And um, so I was working with her and trying to keep it from spreading to the rest of the herd. So I did, I did quite a bit of study into, you know, animal diseases and things like that. Now, when you're doing the study about animal diseases, were there any insects or any any vectors that you were aware of that you wanted to protect the animals from? You know, for example, I have I have I have dogs and cats, and we want to protect our dogs and cats from fleas and from ticks. I'm I'm assuming in the animal husbandry world, there were similar uh, things that you were concerned about. Um. Yeah. Of course, I knew about fleas, and oh, we didn't have indoor animals, so it wasn't quite as big a concern. But um, lice was a big thing with the chickens and, and the goats. Um, and I, I knew about ticks. Our dog got them. She was black, so you couldn't really see them, but you'd feel them behind her ears. Um, so I knew they were out there and I had heard the word Lyme disease, but it just wasn't really part of my growing up. Okay. So now we've gotten to where I was getting to, which is, you were, you were aware of this vector because you wanted to protect your, your animals from the vector. And I'm wondering what steps you took to protect yourself and what 
steps your parents taught your siblings uh, to protect themselves from coming in contact with ticks and Lyme disease? Well, we, we played out in the field with tall grass all the time. And I can remember once dad saying, don't get ticks, you'll get Lyme disease. And I probably went and read an encyclopedia or something. Um, <laughs> so I, I kind of had an idea of what it was, but it didn't really, it, it kind of, I think that was around the time the West Nile virus was a big thing. So I was like, oh, it must be something like that. You know, you can get that from mosquitoes or whatever, but it didn't, I don't know. It just it didn't sound like a big deal to me. And, um, I do remember one time my sister getting a tick on a trip to South Dakota, we went out to this field. They had a bunch of Buffalo out there and the van was crawling with ticks. When we got back in, it was just, that field was totally infested with ticks and she got one. And of course she freaked out and my uncle had to pull it off her. (laughs) So that was kind of a traumatic experience. But that was the only tick experience that I can recall in my childhood. Well, but Jessica, it sounds to me that you were, because you were living in a rural environment and because you had a lot of contact with animals, you were coming in contact with ticks on a pretty regular basis. But it doesn't sound to me that you were aware enough of the problems that they could present to Mm -hmm. check for them or to take steps to protect yourself from them. Yeah, we we never checked for ticks. And it was just that one time that I can recall that anybody ever got one. I never saw one. Um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't a big deal to us. You didn't so or so you thought you didn't think it was. Yeah. So right. So talk to us about what your educational experience was like. I understand that you were homeschooled as a child. Mm-hmm. So talk to us about what homeschooling was like and what type of coursework you were taking as a homeschooled student. Uh, well, as the oldest, of course, there were lots of kids and mom was busy schooling all of them. So the older I got, the more I was kind of on my own for my schooling. And I liked learning. It was it was just my thing that I would find what I wanted to study, whether it was, you know, the animals or I did. I enjoyed like health study. My mom would have, you know, these health books and herbal stuff. And I would you know, read her books. (laughs) And I learned to read at a young age. So I just read a lot. I read history. Um, Yeah, just a lot of different things. I just, it was a lot of self-study for me. I read what I was interested in and studied the things that fascinated me. And especially in high school, I I say I learned more after high school than I did in high school. I kind of slapped my way through high school. but yeah, I learned to learn. And I think that was the important part. I learned to it, love learning. It is the important part. And, and, and self-directed learning is the most important. But of course, you had a curriculum that you had to study as a, as a homeschooled student. And during the course of studying the curriculum that was offered to your family through um, the educational support that were given to you as homeschooled uh, children, you were taking health and science classes and you had the additional desire to learn more about animal husbandry and you were doing that research as well. So my question is, from an educational standpoint, were you ever offered any information about ticks and tick diseases, either in health courses or in science courses or any of the other courses that you were studying as a, as a homeschooled student? Um, I did study health and science and I liked those, but um, not that I can recall. It may have been mentioned, but there was never any 
you know, specific education on it, no. So during your early life, you had a general awareness of ticks. You had a general awareness of these, a disease called Lyme disease, but it was not something that you were concerned enough about or were caused to be concerned enough about to take precautions to protect yourself from this disease, correct? Right. Okay. So now let's fast forward. So talk to us about what your desires were and your dreams were as you were growing up and where did you see yourself? And for example, did you see yourself in ministry the way you are now, or did you see yourself on a different path? Oh, wow. Um, There were a lot of things that I saw myself doing as a kid. Um, And it's interesting. Um, Obviously, my faith is important to me. And from early on, I can see that God was planting things that would bear fruit later on. And um, from when I was really little, five, I, I did want to be a missionary. I read missionary stories. That was one of my big things that I read. Um, and I, I wanted to do that. And at the same time, I was reading all this health stuff. I was doing stuff with the animal husbandry. Um, those were kind of the main things, I think. And I also did um, quite a bit of writing. I enjoyed writing a lot and wanted to do something with that. So yeah, those were, those were the main things when I was young. So talk to us about when your Lyme disease symptoms began to present. Um, and of course, we're talking about pre-diagnosis. When did you start to get sick? And, uh, and how were your um, symptoms interfering with the pursuit of your dreams? Well, it's a little hard to determine when I got sick because, I mean, I had a fairly healthy childhood, just running around all the time, but I did get sick a lot. I got colds and all the, all the childhood things. Um, and I can think of a lot of possible reasons for it. But as far as the Lyme disease was concerned, of course, this is all hindsight. I didn't know it at the time, but now being able to pinpoint the time when I was bitten, that would have been in the fall of 2014 when I was in Missouri at Children's Ministries Institute, which is the um, vocational school for child evangelism fellowship that I work with. I was over there and they, they're on this huge 600 acre campus, lots of forests. And it was great to just, you know, have the run of the place and ramble around in the woods on the weekends and whatever. Um, so on one of those rambles, I ran into a tick somewhere. Um, <laughs> it was funny in Missouri, I'm Pacific Northwest girl, didn't know about all of the wonderful bugs out there. Fireflies are charming. Um, huge red spiders, not so charming. <laughs> and I remember I had a, a nurse who was a classmate and I had been out in the grass and got these red welts all over me. And I went to her and I was like, what in the world is this? And she's like, oh, you got chiggers. Oh yeah, this is not the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> and so I had at some point during the three months that I was there, I had this little black dot on my arm. It was like a little poppy seed. It didn't hurt, but it didn't, I couldn't scrape it off. I didn't know what it was. And I asked a couple of my dorm mates, it's like, what is this? I've never seen anything like this. I'm like, I don't know. 
I think I even went to the nurse and she's like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> and since it didn't hurt, I didn't worry about it. And in a few days it was gone and I didn't think any more of it. Um, but I think I can, and I don't remember all the details of timing and everything exactly when it was, but I think I can pinpoint when it was during that course of the three months, because there was um, one era, a couple weeks when we had a particular class that was just difficult for me and it was difficult anyway, but I was not feeling good those two weeks. I got something, felt like I had the flu, was extremely tired, just wanted to sleep through class, uh, but then class was over and I was okay. But I started yeah. to notice, and I'm not even sure if it was while I was still in Missouri or shortly afterwards, I started getting these sores on my arm where, where that spot had been, which I didn't put the two together at the time, of course. And of course I would try to put stuff on it and nothing, nothing did anything to change it. And so I, so, I, I didn't know what to, what to make of that. But Jessica, I want to explore this with you in a little more detail um, because you said a couple of things that that caused my antenna to go up based on some of the interviews we've done with past guests. Mm -hmm. Let's focus on chiggers first. Um, chiggers, or so I believed here where we live, uh, were a big problem. Right? We we have a we have a uh, turkey population, and one of the things we're always told uh, is not to pick up turkey feathers because they're full of chiggers. So stay away from the turkey feathers. We did an interview on this podcast, and what we discovered was that actually the turkeys are not full of chiggers, they're actually nymph ticks, and that many of the doctors are misdiagnosing the bites that, uh, or, or, the, or, the, or the vectors as chiggers when in fact they're ticks. So one of the things that I want you to think about is what all of those bites look like and whether or not you were in fact bitten by a number of ticks rather than just one tick. But I'm going to ask you to even walk back with me even further. And you talked about your childhood and you seem to have uh, a lot of little things going on during your childhood, right? Mm -hmm. and, and, and one of the things that Matt and I debate about all the time is we've, we've seen this phenomenon where we have people who are like sickly children and then they get Lyme disease. And the question that we always wonder is, were they really just sort of battling the line during the course of their childhood and it was just sort of presenting them with immune disruption and, and that's why they were sickly? Or in the alternative, are, are, are we really interviewing people who have genetically compromised immune systems and that's why they were sick a lot during their childhood? And then ultimately when they, when they get the tick bite that causes them or the series of tick bites that cause them to be bitten, uh, I mean, cause them to be sick, that it was that, you know, that sort of genetically compromised immune system that caused them to be unable to battle this, um, this vector. So give me your thoughts first on, on your sickly childhood and whether or not you think perhaps you were just being bitten by ticks all during your life. And maybe that's why you were, you were sickly, or do you think perhaps maybe you had, um, you know, a, a, a compromised immune system and that's why you weren't able to win the battle in 2014 when, when you suffered your tick bite or tick bites? Uh, I, I do think it's certainly possible. I don't think that I was bitten by ticks in childhood necessarily, but I have thought about um, the fact that I, I do think that I probably had Bartonella as a child. 
um, because that can be carried by cats. And I was obsessed with cats as a child <laughs> um, and was scratched multiple times. And I was just around cats all the time. Um, so I think that that could have been a factor for sure. But Jessica, let's unpack that, right? So Bartonella is is uh, certainly a tick disease and it's certainly mm -hmm. something you can get from, from a cat scratch, right? So you think perhaps your immune system was compromised because of this contact that you had with Bartonella one way or the other, mm -hmm. and that might've put you in an immunocompromised position when you had your 2014 experience. I think that could have been a factor. And then also uh, the house that we lived in growing up had a, a lot of mold issues. Okay. Which I think that that played a big part, um, not just for me, the, the whole family, I think, had some effects of that for sure. Um, so talk so to that, us about that. That was part of it, I think. Now, during your childhood, were you aware that you were living in a, a, a moldy environment? Or was that something that you thought about in reflection after you had gotten sick? Oh, we knew. It was everywhere. We were wiping coatings of mold off the windows. It was, it was very bad. I didn't, of course, at the time, I didn't have any idea how detrimental that could be to health, but it was certainly there and we all knew it. And did you, did, so you knew that there was mold there and you knew it was a part of something that you had to clean up, but you didn't know that it was causing your health to be compromised. I don't think that we really put the two together. Um, the It was a mobile home and it before my parents bought it, it had been owned by smokers. It had been heavily smoked in. So it was, it was, I think that that was probably what my parents thought was more the issue because a lot of us had respiratory things all the time. And I think that that was more the direction their minds went more than the mold. But I think that both of those may have factored into um, the childhood stuff for sure. Okay. So now let's 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 focus on your your tick bite experience when you were when you were uh, you were on your missionary training uh, or your ministry training. Um, you get bitten at least once, but perhaps multiple times by a tick. And the reason the reason I'm focusing on this is one of the things that we've we've been taught by some of the leading Lyme practitioners we've interviewed. For example, Bill Rawls, um, who's Dr. Bill Rawls, is one of our um, you know our favorite guests. Uh, one of the things he shared with us is when he was a clinician and he had his clinical practice, very rarely would somebody be bitten by a tick, become acutely ill, and then ultimately chronically ill, right? That like it wouldn't take that path. He said the only time he'd see that experience occur is when somebody was either living in a moldy environment, which we check off box number one for you, or they were, they were um, bitten by multiple ticks at the same time. So like the, 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 the load of the bacteria and the, and the viral load is very high, so very much like what we're seeing with COVID where people are dying because the viral load is high as opposed to not, right? So it looks like we're checking off box number two for Jessica as well, because you were certainly bitten by one tick, but I think this trigger misdiagnosis may have also really been a misunderstanding of you having been bitten by many ticks at the same time, uh, just not being realized by, you, know, by the, by the, by you. Uh, or by the people that you were you were seeking advice from. So it seems to me that you were on this chronic journey right away, even though you didn't know that you were on it when you suffered suffered that uh, that contact with the ticks um, when you're in Missouri. Mm -hmm. Well, I, it wasn't on my radar, so I definitely wasn't checking. So the that there was more than one, I don't know, but it's quite possible. Uh, it 
I know I definitely had chiggers. It was those red itchy welts <laughs> and I'd been, you know, just out in the grass and whatever, but yeah, the, there were ticks for sure. And, but the fact that that one, like, and I was getting reactions around that one, like being able to put those things together for me, um, that was the main culprit. There were probably others, but that's the one I blame. <laughs> so, so let's let's build that out now. So so what were you said that you got a reaction from that one tick? What was the reaction? Did you have a rash? Did you did it hurt in that location? And and how did your symptoms develop? It definitely was not the classic bullseye rash. It was um, sores is really the only way I can describe it. Um, just these they they did hurt these red sores um and there's like multiple of them all around this area mostly on my right arm um upper right arm just all around that area that i had been bitten and they continued for well years um and it was pretty localized just that just that spot um i would have occasionally on my left arm a few, but not, not like the right arm. And that was all around the location of where you knew you were bitten by the tick. Yeah. Where, what I now know to be the tick. Had okay. Been. Right. So what you said, you, you also said that you had suffered some, what we would call classic Lyme symptoms, right? So you, you had, you had a flu and you had about two weeks of illness. So give us, give us some details on what that two week illness was like. Um, just, terrible fatigue, um, headache. I may have had a fever. I don't remember. Um, but I just, I made it through class. I kept doing the things I had to do. I, um, didn't really think a whole lot of it. And I thought like at that point it was kind of midway through the training and I'd had an emotional breakdown and I thought I was just, you know, worn out on school or tired or emotional or whatever it was. Um, so I just you know, took my vitamin C and went to class and slept a lot. <laughs> okay. So, so you had, you said that you had a breakdown that uh, I'm assuming you were starting to have some neurological and, and emotional symptoms that you weren't again, connecting to the physical symptoms that you had. So talk to us about what the breakdown was like and how you got to the point where your emotional symptoms were developing to the point where you broke down. Um, well, it was definitely, it was definitely related to emotional issues that I had been dealing with at home before I got to the training um but you had been managing them, right? and, what's that you were managing uh -huh. those emotional issues yeah and now, now um, yeah it just kind of came to a head and I had had a conversation with somebody and and just I don't I'm not a crier but I cried and and it just it was a kind of a breaking point for me and it coincided with a difficult point of the school so uh, how how much they were connected, I don't know, but well, of course, came at the same time. But Jessica, we know that stress is going to compromise your immune mm -hmm. system, and it's going to it's going to make your immune system less likely to fight off 
the illness that your body was fighting off, right? So you, you had some stresses that you were dealing with before you went to, to study. Mm-hmm. Um, those stresses were, were building up. You were, you were in the middle of a high stress environment because you were being pressed to learn at a very high level and that was causing you stress. Um, you had, you were feeling physically ill. I mean, if, you know, like if you start to pe- put these pieces together, it sounds to me that you were, you were in an immunocompromised in, uh, position at the wrong moment. And that, that wrong moment resulted in you getting very sick. Definitely. So were there any other symptoms? So you described the, to us the physical symptoms you were suffering. You described to us the emotional symptoms you began to suffer and how that resulted in you even having a breakdown. Uh, were there any neurological symptoms that you were suffering other than the fatigue? Um, not that I noticed at the time. It, did, it definitely got worse later. But at the time, I just thought you know, I, I don't enjoy this class. This is tedious. I just, <laughs> I'm just having a hard time in this class. Um, so I didn't really think of it that way, perhaps, but it didn't seem necessarily harder than just the fact of being a hard class. Okay. Well, let's, let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So, because there are different things that make classes hard, right? One of the things that makes classes hard is, um, is that, um, you know, we have trouble focusing. Another thing that can make a class hard is that we're struggling with the coursework because it's sort of not sticking in our brain because you know we're, we're not absorbing it for some reason. I mean, there are a lot of different reasons why we may not enjoy a class other than the subject matter. So is it just purely a subject matter issue for you or were you just struggling with it and perhaps were the elements of what was developing into your chronic Lyme disease? Oh, maybe a little bit of both. I, it was largely subject matter for me. Um, because it was something I felt I wasn't gifted in. And I would, I would just rather have skipped that part. It was good for me, but it was just something that I think that I had a not the greatest attitude about. <laughs> and of course, you know, with all of the stuff going on at the same time, I'm sure that all of that came, coming together really made it harder than it should have been. So now, Jessica, you took about a year between your tick bite and ultimately your diagnosis before you got diagnosed. So talk to us about how your symptoms were developing over the next year between your tick bite experience, which, which caused you to become acutely ill, and ultimately your diagnosis. How did your symptoms develop? Hmm, actually, on the questionnaire, I think that uh, I think what I just told you isn't the point where I actually got sick, sick. <laughs> um, so there was actually four years between the bite and my diagnosis. Okay. Um, so for the next several years, I uh, came back to Oregon, got a job in the state office of Child Evangelism Fellowship for a year. Um, and then in 2016, I moved down to Klamath Falls to be the director here. And um, that was a major stress part in my life. Um, Finding a place to live, finding roommates, uh, financial struggles, and then of course, a a lot of pressure with a new position trying to figure out what I was doing. And I mean, um, that first year was just hard because I I moved down here really not knowing anybody and trying to find a church, trying to find community, um, 
I was really lonely. I didn't have friends. I didn't really have people around me and and work was stressful. It was hard figuring out what I was doing. And so through that year, 2016, I can, uh, looking back, I can see that things were getting worse. My health was declining for sure, but it was really gradual to the point where I didn't, it didn't enter my mind. Oh, I'm not feeling well, like I'm, I'm getting worse. And then into 2017, same thing until, um, June 2017, I was at um, a training school that we do for teenagers in the summertime. That's a week-long training. Um, and that's always great fun, but also a lot of stress in one week. And at the end of that week, I got the flu. <laughs> it was going around like a third of the camp got it. And this was pre-COVID. So nobody was thinking about that kind of thing. Um, and so last day I was down and we had to, I had to stay overnight at somebody's house and not bring my kids home until the next day. Um, but I just, I just couldn't recover from that. I, and of course with ministry and everything, there was stuff to do and I had to go do it. And I was out doing ministry sick and that didn't help anything but it just went on for weeks and weeks I was still coughing and I lost a ton of weight um I didn't have a lot to lose in the beginning and I lost about 20 pounds I was very frail um so my family came to visit me in July some of my extended family had come out from the midwest and they were visiting and um my mom she was very concerned. <laughs> she was like, you are skin and bones. You need to find a doctor. You are a mess. And we, I live pretty close to Crater Lake National Park. And we went up there and just walked around a little bit. We didn't do any hikes or anything. And I was just wiped out. Um, and that, I think, I think seeing like, cause I didn't think a whole lot of it. It's like, well, I've been sick and I just don't feel good. But to see that my mom noticed how bad it was, I think made it, made me think, okay, maybe something is wrong here. And so from that point, things just got worse. And I started thinking a little bit more seriously about my health. It's like, okay, this is not good. <laughs> something needs to change. So let's, so just let's, let's pause there for a second. Cause I, I think we need to unpack this a little bit. Right. So you had several years of developing symptoms where you're getting sicker and sicker, but you're not doing anything about it. You're not going to a doctor. You're not even acknowledging that you're getting sick, at least cognitively acknowledging that you're getting sicker and you're a thin person to begin with and you're losing even more weight. So there is this visible change in your appearance, yet you're still not doing anything about it. Right. Well, up to the up until you know, mid 2017, it was so gradual. And, you know, from my childhood, I was used to being sick a lot. It, I didn't feel that serious to me, but in, in summer 2017, when things started getting a lot worse, a lot faster, then I realized that, okay, this, this can't go on anymore. 
Well, but you, you said it wasn't until your mom came to see you and said something to you that you really believed that you had to do something about yeah. it. But I want to talk to you about before your mom arrived, right? We, 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 we've been learning about this concept of depersonalization, right? Where you essentially separate from your mind separates from your body and your, your mind is sort of protecting you from the pain of your body developing this illness. We actually just interviewed a young one from Australia who gave us a brilliant description of that process. And I'm wondering whether or not you were depersonalizing at that point, meaning you weren't looking at your body. Your, 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 your mind had essentially abandoned your body and sort of dragged your body through all of the things that you were doing in ministry and you weren't even realizing or, or, or even in touch with your body enough to know how sick you were and that you had to take some action. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Um, Cause I'm, I'm a very driven person. I want to do a good job of things. And so with so much responsibility on my shoulders, I took a back seat and I was putting all of that first and not even really paying attention to my own needs, for sure. Um, but that's good. This is a little bit different. It's, it's a little bit different than just not paying attention to your own needs. It's literally not seeing them at all, right? I mean, what's happening is your brain pathways are changing and you're, and you're in fight or flight mode and your body's protecting, your mind is protecting you from this body that is abandoned. And it's been described by other um, guests that we've interviewed as almost like watching your life. Like you're, you're above your life and you're watching this life play out but you're separated from it as a result of this depersonalization. So do you believe that perhaps that was a psychological element of what was going on with you and your Lyme disease journey, rather than just sort of, you know, putting your, your health second and your, and, and, and your ministry first? Um, I, I'm not sure. I don't really identify with that. Maybe a little bit later on. But I think it was just, just being, <laughs> just not paying attention to my life. Um, I didn't really feel, you know, outside of my life necessarily. I was still engaged in what was going on around me, but definitely compartmentalized in like this stuff in my life is more important than, than this. Well, so Jessica, so you, so your mother arrives, she sees you, she she's, sees you looking frail. She invites you for a walk or you invite her for a walk and you're so fatigued, you couldn't even finish, you know, this, this, this experience together. And, and it's almost sounds to me like it was like a moonstruck moment to you. What I mean by moonstruck is that famous scene in that movie moonstruck where Cher slaps, you know, slaps Nicholas Cage in the face and tell him to slap out of it. I mean, you know, snap out of it. Right. So it's, it, you know, like I envisioned sort of you and your mother coming together and, and your mother's looking at you and you're like, snap out of it. You look terrible. You're sick. You got to get better. Right. So why did you need your mom to give you the moonstruck moment when you, when this was progressively happening and you were now physically looking, you know, you know, so sick. Uh, and so frail and unable to, a, even as a young person, complete a short, um, you know, social experience, you know, a walk with your mom. Well, just getting an outside perspective, I think, because I'd been here, I'd been sick with the flu for a month. And I just thought, well, I've been sick. Of course, I don't feel good. But to have somebody else look at me and say, no, you're more than 
sick. <laughs> You're really sick. <laughs> and, um, and then that just that experience with my family going somewhere where I should have been able to do this. And I'm sitting in the car, just like, I want to go to sleep right now. Right. You, okay. you couldn't, you couldn't okay. it. I can't ignore this. Right. This, this is real. <laughs> no, because look, you might've been able to ignore it if you were by yourself, but you couldn't ignore it because your family saw it and they weren't. Gonna right. It. it was kind of being pulled out of my normal day-to-day things and being put in a situation that of course being sick, I wouldn't have chosen to do was now like, okay, I have to come face to face with this right. in a way that I hadn't before. You couldn't, you couldn't emotionally deny it. Your, your, right. your mind and your body were pulled back together. That moonstruck moment did take place, right? And first it was your mother telling you you're sick. And then you being unable to disprove her observation because you couldn't finish a short walk, right? I mean, you just yeah. couldn't deny it anymore, even though you'd been denying it now for a couple of years. Yeah. So talk to us about what you did now. Now that you couldn't deny it anymore, now that you knew that you were sick, now that you knew it wasn't normal to have a flu for a month, uh, you know, because you now recognize that your immune system was failing. What'd you do? Um, well, I, uh, <laughs> was silly and just tried to stick it out for the rest of the summer because summer is just a busy, crazy time. And so the, again, it was all of this I got these responsibilities I've got to fulfill, and that's going to come first. I will you know, crash and burn at the end of the summer and figure it all out later. Really stupid, but <laughs> it's, 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 it's not stupid. I mean, and, and we shouldn't be critical of ourselves when we're dealing with these types of false beliefs, right? I mean, it, it's, 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 it's a part of the emotional journey that you are on where you were again, now denying and you weren't believing that you were sick and you weren't believing probably that you were worthy of getting better. Right. I mean, the, these are, these are the important false beliefs that we have to look at that we all harbor when we're on these journeys, right? So even though you had the moonstruck moment and your mother slapped you and she said to you, you're sick. I know it was a verbal slap. I'm not saying she physically. <laughs> and, 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 and even though you were emotionally still denying it, you couldn't finish a walk and they were like, yes, come on. You know, you're a young woman. You know, you should be able to finish this walk. You couldn't do that, right? As soon as they left, you went back into denial mode again and you were like, I can, I can suck it up. I can grit through this. I can finish all the work that I have to finish. And you didn't go to see a doctor, right? Yeah, it was it was my personality working against me because I, yeah, I'm just so driven to do the things that have to be done, um, you know, the things that look urgent, um, instead of taking care of the things that I really shouldn't be ignoring. But so how, yeah, how, I did I did not go to a doctor at that point um, because I got better. I got over the flu and feeling better. I thought, well, I'm better than but I could not regain the weight. I tried, but it wasn't coming back. And so it just went on for these several more months where I was better, but I wasn't better. And so it just, I was still just kind of ignoring it, trying to go on with life. Um, for yeah, the rest of 2017, basically. And then in early 2018, I started having heart palpitations and that's when things got more serious. Um, they, they were just kind of off and on for a little while in the early January through March, somewhere in there. 
Um, and then in April, some friends and I went down to California for a conference at my Bible college. Uh, actually, <laughs> I should mention all this time I was doing Bible college online. So there's another piece of the stress in my life. Um, so you're, so let's, let's, let's unpack that. I want to just pass that. So you are working full-time. Mm -hmm. You're also a full-time student studying at the same time that you're working full-time at the same time that you're wasting away in your skin and bones. Well, I wasn't a full-time student, but yes, I was taking classes and taking care of myself at home and <laughs> all, all the things. Um, it was just too much. So your so your 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 mind was telling you that you had to be a student and you had to be an employee when you were in that survival you know that survival signal mode, not that um, you can take care of yourself that you were separated from taking care of you, correct? Yeah, and what took a hit was my social life because um, I didn't have friends and didn't know where to make them, um, so I just didn't that was, it was work and school. That was my life because I didn't have time or energy for anything else. Right. Because all of your energy was going into things other than getting you better and yeah. creating, creating a social support system that would allow you to have the kind of support you would need to get better. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So where does, when does the crash come? Well, okay, so I was talking about, uh, we went to California in April. Um, and so we were at my school for this conference and I was in a session and it was, I was having very strong heart palpitations. It was like throwing me against the wall kind of thing. Um, so I left the session, went into the library and lay down. Um, and my friends, of course, they're concerned. They're like, do you need to go to the ER? Are you okay? <laughs> and, but just, I laid down and I felt better. And by the end of the day, they were gone. And so I was up moving tables and helping out and all this stuff. But I did, I did actually look up where the nearest urgent care was. I was thinking about it. <laughs> and when I got home, that that next week it was still really bad and they were frequent it was probably I don't know 30 times a day or something and they were strong and so at one point my coworker here I'm like visibly pale and clutching my chest and she's like you need to go to urgent care and she wouldn't let me drive she took me down there and so I got in there spent a couple hours sitting in the waiting room. And by that time, of course, I'm fine. And they did an EKG, a few little minor blood tests. And they're like, well, nothing's coming up. Here's your $400 bill. <laughs> and, and I went home and was very disappointed. Uh, okay, so meanwhile, backing up here, I had been looking for a doctor. I, I think it, I started in probably January or something really seriously looking for a doctor. And what, what does that mean, Jessica? Seriously looking for a doctor? I mean, what, 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 what does that mean? Well, I knew I didn't want to just go to any doctor because Why? I, well, 
I don't know where this came from, if it was my mom's health books or whatever, but I had a holistic view of health. I didn't want to just go to an ordinary general practitioner. I wanted to go to a naturopathic doctor, somebody who was going to do things naturally, look at my body holistically. And I was having hormone issues and the whole thing. And so I wanted to find a female naturopath. And there, Klamath is small town. I mean, it's big city to me growing up in a town of a thousand, but um, there's not a whole lot of options here. So I was just kind of going through the list and looking at the options I had. And I went to one and they're like, oh, she's not taking new patients. And so I, I was trying my options and there wasn't really much to choose from. And so I was discouraged and I started looking kind of more surrounding area if I might have to go farther to find somebody. Um, and it was just, it was just getting discouraging looking for the right person because of course the urgent care visit confirms things. But I'm like, I don't want to just go to conventional medicine because for one, I can't afford it. And for another, I don't believe that they're going to address my needs <laughs> because I knew that something complicated was going on. Um, so in February of 2018, uh, my grandma and I went to this integrative health conference that uh, a breast cancer survivor had put on at her church. She pulled together this panel of uh, local health practitioners and just had them speak. And it was mostly on cancer stuff, which I didn't believe I had cancer, but grandma and I decided to go. Um, and uh, another point here, my grandma was living with me at the time. She actually moved in with me um, a month before I got the flu. <laughs> so she was living with me through this whole period of being very sick which was a huge blessing. I'm so grateful. I don't know how I would have survived without her. <laughs> um, but we went and I had been praying for the right doctor. And so I prayed that one of these people, one of these panelists would stand out as the one I needed to go to. Went through the whole day. Nobody stood out. None of them seemed to be the fit that I was looking for. Um, but they had tons of door prizes. The whole front of the stage was lined with dozens and dozens of door prizes. And I, that's not really my thing. I never win stuff, <laughs> but at the very end of the day, I won a door prize, a vitamin B shot from this one naturopathic doctor's office. And so I'm like, oh, okay. I guess I know where I'm going because I'm, she's not going to give it to me if I'm not patient. So I made an appointment and of course she's booked out all the way to June. So I had this appointment coming up in June. And so in April, when my heart was really acting up, I, I thought, okay, this is a big problem, but, and, and it came and went and I started taking some herbs. I, I took kelp because I thought maybe it's my thyroid. I'll just take this. And it got a little better, 
And so I thought, okay, I can, I can survive until June. <laughs> I'll make it. <laughs> I have this doctor's appointment. I have, at least I have something to look forward to. But by the end of April, it was still bad. And I was just at the end of my rope and I was very fatigued. I was constantly late to, late to work because I would wake up half an hour before or whatever and rushing out the door without breakfast and all of these things. And so one day I was laying in bed, late for work again, just didn't want to get up. And I was like, I don't know what to do. I'm, am I dying? What's, what's going to happen? And the phone rang <laughs> before I'm even out of bed. And it's this doctor's office. And she's like, we had a cancellation at nine. Can you make it? And I said, I will be there. <laughs> and so I was up and out of the house and got to the doctor's office. And it was, it was a miracle because she said that I was the 20th person she called trying to fill this thing. So I got in and we had like an hour and a half conversation about everything we could think about. So Jessica, what kind of doctor, what kind of doctor was this doctor? She was a naturopathic doctor and in Oregon, they're licensed. So she's an ND. Um, so she's, she has all of the, all of the privileges of a medical doctor and knows how to do things holistically, which is exactly what I wanted. Um, so yeah, she was amazing. She was patient, took time for me, asked tons of questions. Um, and she was asking me about things I'd never thought about before. Asking me about my travel, where I'd been, and had I, had I been bitten by a tick, which I said no, because I didn't think I had. And <laughs> so she ran a bunch of tests, did a full thyroid panel, full hormone panel, uh, tested for parasites, and um, I was just very encouraged, even not having any results yet. I was so thankful that she was taking the time for me and that she'd been able to pinpoint a few possibilities. And I was like, okay, this makes sense. I was in Mexico in 2014 and that's when things, you know, maybe started to change. Maybe I picked up a parasite and yeah, I just, I think she gave me some I, I can't remember if it was then or later she gave me berberine to take for gut health. Um, but I started, you know, feeling a little better, just having some hope. And then I got the results, um, some hormone imbalances, obviously, and then no parasites showed up, but there was a uh, bacterial imbalance. So I did work on gut health and that helped. But then at my follow-up, she, um, based on those sores on my arm, I showed her those again. And she's like, I'm going to test you for Lyme disease just to rule it out. And so she, she ran the test and I was like, well, I don't think I have Lyme disease, but whatever. <laughs> so she, she drew the blood and had to, where did they send it? Um, I can't remember the name of the lab now, but, uh, it was a Western blot and she sent it off. And then I just, you know, went about 
my life. And at this time I was preparing for a mission trip to Ethiopia, which was a big dream come true. I have family from Ethiopia and it was, it was just really exciting to be able to do that. And so at that, um, at that appointment also, she uh, wrote me a prescription for Malrone, which is an anti-malarial since I was going to Africa. And then in, well, at the end of June, in first few weeks of July, I headed off to Ethiopia. And a funny thing was the day before, like hours before I headed to the airport, um, I got the call from the, from her office. Your Lyme test came back positive. Come back in when you get home and we'll talk about it. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll do that. I don't know what that means, but here we go. Um, so I, I went to Ethiopia and it was amazing. It was the best I had felt in years. And later I, I put it together that I think being on Malrone was starting my Lyme treatment. Um, so, and of course I only saw one tiny lethargic mosquito the whole time I was there because where I was was actually above the malaria line. So I didn't really need it, but I was taking it and I think it really was helping. And just the uh, emotional component of being there too was so encouraging just to be with all these amazing, hospitable, wonderful people. Um, I felt very, very welcomed and it was a joy to be there. And I think just the whole experience um, was just so uplifting to me that that was a help as well. Just and then a good, I got home. <laughs> yes. Just then. a question on that. So I'm guessing that, well, I guess before I even ask you that question, you mentioned that you went on berberine Berbera, for your gut. Now, what made your doctor and you think that you were having gut issues? You mentioned that you had some bacterial levels in your blood work, but what specifically led you guys down that road? Well, I can't, and I can't recall if, if um, she gave me that at the initial appointment or if it was at the follow-up where we discovered the bacteria imbalances, I'm thinking probably the latter, um, but that's, that's what she gave me. And I did like a, a three week cycle of that. Um, and with the malarone though, you see, you, you, started feeling better pretty quickly. And mm -hmm. that's really used to treat Babesia. So I'm guessing when you went back and you came back from Ethiopia and you came home that your doctor said, well, you probably have Babesia as well. Actually, no. Um, we did test for it and that came back negative, but I, um, I came back positive, CDC positive. I think I had six bands um, for Lyme and also Bartonella. So that was the only co-infection that showed up of the ones that we tested. And that's what we uh, targeted. You think though, because malarone is specifically used for Babesia, which is a parasitic bloodborne infection, which is different than Lyme disease and Bartonella. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that, you know, I'm guessing you wouldn't have had the same reaction from malarone for just Lyme and Bart. So do you think that possibly the testing just wasn't great? Because we know that the testing for Babesia is flawed, just like the testing for Lyme. So do you think that you had Babesia and it just didn't show on the testing? Um, I don't think so. 
because a lot of the like Babesia specific symptoms have not showed up at all for me. Um, but, and this is way down the line in my story, I do have some kind of um, protozoal parasitic infection, which it may, it's not Babesia, but it's something along those lines. So I think that even back then, that may have been, you know, jumpstarting that feeling. Right. And that, that makes complete sense. So walk us through now that you're back from Ethiopia, you're, you probably have no idea what it means that you're Lyme positive and Bartonella positive going back to your doctor, what that visit was like and what your plan was moving forward. Right. Um, yeah, I, I really didn't know at all what that meant. And of course I had no time to think about it or Google it or anything. Um, and actually after being so amazingly well in Ethiopia, I got food poisoning on the plane home and was <laughs> as sick as could be. But uh, when I got back, uh, so I went in and she kind of explained it to me, uh, referred me to some books I could read and gave me the option. I could do six months of antibiotics or six months of herbal treatments. Obviously I chose the latter. Um, and she told me, practitioners, please don't do this. She told me, uh, it's, it's looking good for you. You should be like, there's an 80% chance you'll be well in six months, which was encouraging to hear, but it wasn't true. Um, so I got on these herbs. Uh, it was an herbal blend from samsara herbs and I did start feeling better. Um, so where were they from? I'm sorry. What, what herbs? The brand was Samsara Herbs. They had a, a blend formulated for tick-borne illnesses. And um, that's, she had it in her office and I started that day building up to whatever dose she wanted me at. And um, I was taking that three times a day. And yeah. It was in a couple of weeks, I started noticing a difference. I was feeling better. And there was like, there were some periods of herxine in there for sure. Um, when I just didn't feel great, <laughs> but I'd been warned that that could happen. And so I wasn't surprised or discouraged with it. Um, yeah. And I just moved forward with that, with the expectation, okay, I know what's going on and I've got this and I'm going to be, I'm going to be fine. Um, but yeah. Just, Jessica, I'm looking up the, some Sarah herbs now and it looks like, you know, a key part of that is Japanese knotweed, cat's claw mm -hmm. and cytokutica, which are very common herbs to address Lyme and other various co-infections. So it makes mm -hmm. sense that you would have that Herx reaction and, you know, start to feel better. But I do want to ask you because I, how did your, emotional changes blend with your with your spirituality meaning you know you're you're you have the strong faith you have this trust in god and now your mental health starts to decline i think right as you start to get sicker and sicker so how did you deal with that i mean you you probably were deep in prayer but how did you deal with the mental health struggles that come along with lyme disease oh yeah um well definitely i was seeing all of this as an answered prayer for me for sure because like for all i knew my life was at risk and God had provided a doctor for me. And of course I had been, you know, looking into things a little bit and I don't remember at what point I discovered your podcast, but 
hearing stories of people who went to 10, 20, 50 doctors. And here I got a diagnosis, first doctor, second visit. Who gets that? Like God took care of me. I knew that for sure. And so I was, I was confident in my faith. I was confident in God's care for me. And really just accepting the whole thing. It's like, well, I don't know what's going on, but God does and he's going to bring me through it. Um, but at that point, um, and I don't know, it's, it's hard for me to remember what I was feeling and thinking at the time necessarily. Um, and that like the beginning stages of that, even though it was hard and I was sick, wasn't as emotionally hard for me, I think, because I did have the expectation that it wasn't going to be long, that I was going to be fine. Um, so, so, but I, I want to jump back and I, you know, and I think you're right. And I love your attitude that, you know, one doctor's second visit, that is a blessing. But prior to that, you were having these debilitating heart palpitations, which are very scary. I mean, you were in another state on a trip with new friends. So how did you, I guess, really, before I even follow up on that, there had to be some sort of fear component as well, probably, right? Um, maybe a little bit. Like I wasn't, I didn't think I was imminently dying and I wasn't scared of it necessarily, but I was like at that urgent care visit, I was like, okay, this is, this is not just serious. This is really serious. (laughs) Something really needs to happen. And I was getting kind of desperate in prayer. Um, So yeah, there was definitely some element of, okay, like, God, what's going on? (laughs) So I I don't know what to do. Um, It was was worrying for sure. But you believe that God was going to answer your prayers and you would get better ultimately. Yeah. Yeah. So that faith kept you going to find a solution, which you ultimately got. Right. And then from there, your faith yeah. kept you going that you're going to get better because you were told you're going to get better, which mm-hmm. unfortunately I, I wish your practitioner didn't do that because I think that's that in itself is emotionally devastating when you don't get better, when you're told you're going to get better. And I personally have been through that as well. So, uh, you know, I woke us, I guess, before we get to that part, the six month window of being on this herbal protocol, you made some gains, you said, and you had some herxing. Mm-hmm. So what were those gains? What symptom relief did you get from the herbal protocol? Um, well, I wasn't having nearly as much fatigue. I was, you know, feeling awake and able to do things. And I had been having some joint pain and that was a little better. Uh, the neurological symptoms had been showing up in that early portion of 2018 as well. Um, what kind of neurological symptoms, Jessica? What's that? What kind of neurological symptoms? Um, a lot of brain fog, a lot of just cognitive inability. Um, and I think that a lot of, and I was dealing with depression too, which another, again, I had to have somebody point out. Um, <laughs> and were you depressed prior to getting sick? Was this something that you, you had as a child or something that just popped no, up out of nowhere? No, no, Of course. I mean, through my turbulent teens and whatever, I, it was just emotionally rocky, but it, as I, I think really when I moved down to Klamath Falls and was very lonely and didn't have community and connection that you brought me down for sure. Did you explain it away as I'm moved? I don't have anybody. I don't have any friends and I'm lonely instead of saying, well, maybe this is a symptom of my other physical conditions that I have. Yes. I'm, I think I did. 
And so that's why it took me so long, really up until that April when I was having all these heart issues. That's when my friend pointed out, I think you have depression. I was like, yeah, I think I have to admit that you're right. (laughs) Um, It had got worse up to that point. And at that point too, um, I was doing writing and I really enjoy writing. I write poetry and different things and had a blog for a while and journaled every day for a large portion of my life. And all of that just was gone. I wasn't doing it um, because I just didn't have the mental energy for it. And that was really discouraging too. That I think, and it took me a lot longer than this to discover that, but, you know, looking back, I can see that that was something that um, I was probably really bitter about um, and really um, upset about losing that ability because it was so much a part of who I was. It was so much my identity that um, not being able to do those things was very hard. And did then you of stop, course, I'm sorry, Jessica, but did you stop writing because you were depressed or did you stop because you were so cognitively impaired you weren't able to? I think it was the cognitive impairment which I didn't necessarily realize. I thought it was like, life's busy. I just don't have time to do all these things and I don't feel like it, but it was very hard. And I think I realized that more in my work because I had to write newsletters and you know different things for my work. And for that, uh, that uh, team training camp, I was writing the devotions that we would use during that training. And I had done this a couple of years, but now in 2018, it was torture to write those. And they're like 300 word things. And I was just, it was not coming. It was horrible. I was having terrible anxiety over it. And I think that part of that was spiritual attack on, from my perspective, because, you know, I would drive sure. up to the office and it just like hit with anxiety um and you never had anxiety before right no 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 depression a little bit anxiety never but but you you said that depression was really new to the move and you and you explained it away as being the move and now you're developing anxiety as well so you're developing Mm -hmm. these new psychological symptoms you're physically getting worse and you're having heart palpitations and then it sounds like that you were gaining friends right when you went to california you said you were with friends and your friends were concerned about you and you were having a good time but you were physically unwell and that's when your friend pointed out that you were depressed so Mm -hmm. you know as an outsider it seems like that should be something that should be the opposite of depressing so do you think that you were trying to you didn't want to see how sick you are and make the connection between your mental health and your physical health because as an outsider it seems like that you were progressing with your socialization and your and your travel and in your education and in your in your career well um, I, I still didn't have a lot of friends locally. These were friends from back home who I, I knew before. And I had one friend really who kept up with me consistently. Um, and she was the one who, you know, had progressed with me long enough to see that I was changing and not in a good way. Um, <clears throat> but I think, I think before my diagnosis, I was struggling to see, okay, I, I'm dealing with depression. How much of my struggle is mental? How much of it is physical? So I was in a little bit of, uh, yeah, just a little confusion there of like, what is really going on here? Why, what's the 
what's the real cause of all this? So you started to think that maybe your physical presentation of heart palpitations was due to anxiety, which can be the case in some people. I don't think I really connected it to anxiety because that was, it was, had started before I was definitely getting hit with anxiety. So I don't know that I really connected that. I knew there was definitely something physical going on because I could trace it to getting the flu in 2017. That's when like, there was definitely a line there when things physically got worse. Um, but I thought that like all of the psychological stuff, the mental stuff, what's really going on with that? Is it connected to physical, is it not? And so that was the confusion, I think. Oh, meaning were you getting depressed and anxious because you were so sick or was it something separate? I think is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I didn't really know what the connections were um, and whether like there's just all of this stuff going on in life. And um, I didn't know what's triggering what and, you know, where where did this where did the ball start rolling? <laughs> so so and it is super confusing and I totally understand, you know, where you're coming yeah. from with that. But, you know, sometimes like I know with myself, I would explain things away that looking back were. I never should have, right? Because mm -hmm. I probably could have gotten to a conclusion of a Lyme diagnosis sooner if I didn't explain those things away and I documented better and I really was, you know, more specific with my symptom set. So although you were anxious to go write these 300 word newsletters, the fact that you couldn't cognitively put your thoughts to paper, that's something I think greater than just being a little anxious, right? So did you ever make that connection of, okay, I might be anxious, I might be a little depressed and I'm definitely sick, but why isn't my brain working, right? Why am I not able to do what I used to do easily and now it's like torture for me to do this task? Yeah, I definitely didn't put all of those in the same category. I wasn't looking at the whole picture of my symptoms and be like, okay, maybe all of this is one thing. I, I definitely was not doing that. So now let's, let's, go, let's fast forward again to you're back from Ethiopia. You're in your follow-up appointment. You're now doing the six months of herbs. And I think I, I last left with you asking you to explain some of your neurological symptoms. And you were talking about some of the improvements you made throughout that six month window being on the herbs. So mm -hmm. if you could just go back to that, I think you were mentioning some of your neurological symptoms improved while being on the herbal treatment. Yeah, um, I was feeling better. Um, I was a little better able to think still not wonderful, um, but I could tell that it was better than I had been. Um, and I was hoping for better so that I think even though it ultimately was discouraging that it took longer than six months, I think it was at that point, it was helpful for me to have that hope um, because it just, it lifted me up enough to think, okay, I am going to get through this. It's I'm going to, I'm going to be fine and everything's going to be normal again. <laughs> so, but of course, developing that took longer. And um, my doctor had given me, or she pointed me to um, Stephen Booner's work. So I read uh, one of his books that was really eye-opening. It was both fascinating because I love studying and finding out all of these medical things and terrifying at the same time because like, oh my goodness, this, this Lyme stuff is horrible. Um, Wait, Jessica, I'm sorry to interrupt, but your naturopath referred you to Stephen Buhner's book. And Stephen Buhner is pretty well known that, you know, it's not easily treated chronic Lyme disease, yet your naturopathic doctor is saying, oh, you're going to be fine in six months. It seems like to be this a contrast there, right? Where she's recommending Buhner's protocol or his book, 
And her her statement to you is in contrast to what he sort of talks about in his book and in his studies, right? Yeah, I'm really not sure why she told me that. Um, maybe just the fact that my test wasn't as bad as it could have been, or I don't know. But it did like it did help me see like how bad Lyme could be and that I was a lot better off than I could have been for sure. Um, so it was encouraging in, in that respect. So when you, you were on these herbs for six months, walk us through at the end of the six month window, what symptoms were still left? <clears throat> um, pretty much everything was still there. Not quite as bad. Um, yeah, I don't think anything was gone completely for sure. The, and now was there, any, sorry, just, was there ever any discussion about detox or anything like that with your naturopathic doctor? Or was this, it looks like from, from doing some Googling here that the samsara <laughs> herbs are, are primarily kill protocol, meaning they're attacking the pathogens and killing the pathogens. So was there any sort of detox discussions or drainage pathway discussions or lymphatic system discussions? No, not at all. Um, <clears throat> which surprises me now. <clears throat> But yeah, that was not discussed at the time. <clears throat> it so was pretty, uh, it was pretty simple. Just like, take this stuff and here you go. <laughs> there wasn't a whole lot of teaching on what exactly I was supposed to do or expect. And thankfully I enjoy studying. So I did a lot of that research on my own and figured out all the details of stuff that I needed to know on my own. Um, and so that was, that's where I came across detox mostly. <clears throat> so when you went back to your doctor, the six months is up, you're feeling a little bit better, but you're still really sick. What's her reaction? Cause she told you she'd be cured by now. Right. So what's, what is she saying to you when you're saying I'm still sick? Um, at that point she had a hyperbaric oxygen chamber that one of her other Lyme patients had actually donated to the office. <clears throat> and so she uh, let people use that for $10 a session, which is insane <laughs> when you look at what it costs typically. Um, so that was another God thing, another big blessing. And I started doing that. I started um, going every week for um, a hyperbaric session. And I couldn't really tell whether it was working or not. I did that for a year um, from February 2019, I guess it would have been. <clears throat> and um, I enjoyed it. I liked going in and it was You liked it? I did. Yeah. Many people tell us it's anxiety inducing because it's so you're in a you know compartment, you get pressurized, you have to wait for it to decompress to get out. And so it's, it's interesting that you, you enjoyed it. it. It is kind of funny because I am a little bit claustrophobic, but I really did enjoy it. It just felt cozy and not claustrophobic. It was comforting in a way. And it was actually a good like practice to go in and just like just relax for an hour and not do things. I would not take my phone in with me. It was just like, it was just me in the chamber. I would take in my little New Testament and read the Bible for an hour. And it was just, it was a great little relaxation every, every week. And it was nice to get to know the people in the office. I had fun interactions with my nurse and was able to, <laughs> he'd ask me questions about what I was reading and 
it was it was just fun to interact with people have that every week did you see any symptom relief though you mentioned you were on it for a year and you weren't sure if it was helping but was there anything you noticed that was getting better from hyperbaric oxygen therapy i really couldn't tell the whole way through i could not tell whether it was making a difference so you were just plateaued i i had i had several plateaus in there but i couldn't tell whether this was making those plateaus a little higher or if it was affecting things at all. I, yeah, I just could not see any difference. Jessica, were you doing anything in parallel that made it hard for you to assess if it was working or not? Is that, is that what you're saying? Well, I was continuing. I was still on the herbs. I raised my dosage of the herbs. Um, and I was, I was taking vitamin D. I was taking like other things as I, as I could, but I wasn't, yeah, it was like, I didn't have the, it wasn't isolated. So I couldn't tell whether this one thing was making the difference or if it was something else. So for that one year window, it was primarily the increase in herbs plus the hyperbaric oxygen therapy, right? Yeah. Yeah. Those were the main things. Well, actually, when was it? I think it was, well, it would have been in the spring, summer of 2019. I had another follow-up and I was very much plateaued. And so my doctor was like, you know, I, I know you don't want to do this, but I'm going to suggest antibiotics again, just to hit this harder. Um, and I agreed to it. So I got on amoxicillin and azithromycin and we were going to start with three months. So we, we did that for three months and I was seen some improvement, but not significant. And so when I went back at the end of the three months, she's like, well, I want to add Plaquenil also hydroxychloroquine, which now everybody's heard of. Um, so we, we added that and I was on those three for another three months and I got worse during that time. And it, it was summer. And summer, of course, is the really busy time in ministry. And so I was running myself into the ground again and having heart palpitations again, stronger. And I was, I was going backwards. And so I finished the antibiotics day before Thanksgiving, 2019. I was so thankful. <laughs> um, and I was like, I'm not doing that again. That was not worth it. And then it just, it, it had taken me backwards to the point where now it's like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to beat this. Jessica, I'm going to stop you there. I do want to ask you before we go on, looking back, why do you think that the amoxicillin, the zithromycin and the plaquenil made you feel so much worse? Because we do know there are a lot of, they're strong antibiotics and they do kill a lot of tick-borne illnesses, but I'm, I see one missing piece here. So I'm curious, looking back, why you think they made you feel worse and they didn't help you? Um, probably because I was not taking care of my gut health the way I should have been. Um, which I, I knew I was supposed to be on probiotics and I was for part of the time, probably not the best ones and not the way I should have been. Um, so, and, and I just, what about detox? I wasn't thinking about it. And also, yeah, I was not detoxing. 
um yeah were, detox, were you also detox was never really a part of it for you, most of most of what i did were you on the herbs as well so it sounds like you were still on yes. the herbs and doing the hyperbaric oxygen therapy while on these now antibiotics right i was doing all of it at the same time so through the six months of being on these new drugs, what was your naturopathic doctor telling you? Was she saying it was normal to be worse? What was her reaction to your decline in health? Um, aside from like, I didn't really check in aside from my follow-ups at the three and six month mark. So I mean, she didn't have any way to, to know what was going on because I wasn't communicating, but um, yeah, she didn't really have a lot to say on it. And at the end of the six months, I said, I don't want to do antibiotics anymore. I, I'm just going to keep on the herbs. And she just kind of let me do it. She didn't have a lot more guidance for me. Jessica, you did say before when I interrupted you, and I apologize, there's so much here that I keep wanting to ask you, but you mentioned that when you went off the antibiotics, you felt like you didn't know if you were ever going to get better, right? So talk to us about your faith at that time, because you told us earlier that you always believed your prayer was going to get you better and that that God was going to was going to heal you. So now there's a conflict here because your faith was telling you you're going to get better, and now you're starting to doubt that. So how did your relationship with God get get stirred up here when you went off the antibiotics? Um, well, really, that's kind of when I got off the antibiotics and that that whole fall time was really difficult emotionally just because I was doing so badly. Um, I think it was around that time. Um, my pastor knew I had Lyme disease I mean, people who knew me knew about it, but I didn't really talk about it a lot. It was just there, you know, and, uh, so he came into my office one day and just sat down. I was like, what's going on? Like, I want to know. And he talked to me about it. And so I told him the story and um, I realized like maybe people want to know what's going on in my life. And so I, I wrote a whole long post on Facebook about the whole story and what I was going through. And it was really encouraging to see people's comments and they're like, Oh, I had no idea. And, you know, they're praying for me and everything. And, um, so I felt supported for sure. And then that October I was really unwell to the point where it was hard to keep working full-time. And so I asked my board if they would allow me to work 30 hours. And they, they wholeheartedly agreed to it. They're wonderful people really supported me through it. And so I, I was able to work a lot less and that was so helpful because it helped me feel I had 10 hours extra a week that I could take care of myself. And then that made me a little bit more energetic at work. So I was still getting the same amount of work done in less time. Um, but yeah, that whole, that whole time I was just realizing how broken I was, not just physically, but emotionally, spiritually, and that I needed God's help. And 
and he was teaching me, he was carrying me through it. And I think that, and of course, when my pastor talked to me, actually his wife passed away from cancer that year. And so he was going through a lot of grief and he gave me a book by uh, a woman in Oregon who's also had Lyme disease and it was called The View from Rock Bottom. And it was kind of a, a theology of suffering that I'd never really heard anybody talk about in this way before. Looking at what the Bible actually says about suffering and pain and that we're not promised a perfect life, but those things that we go through and the hardships that we deal with can shape us um, in a good way. And it also kind of <laughs> revealed my pride and how I want to, you know, be the responsible one who's carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders and doing it just fine and never asking anybody for help. And I realized that that is a prideful thing for me. It's like, I, I want to be the best and never let anybody know that I'm weak. And so it was uh, really humbling and hard for me to come to that realization. And I was at the same time, I was just discovering more about my personality and who God made me to be and the strengths and weaknesses that I have and how I need to, I need to develop that in a good, healthy way that's going to benefit me and the world around me. And a big portion of that was learning to ask for help from people. And so I had to start doing that. I, my body forced me to, <laughs> and it was, um, it was good for me emotionally and spiritually to be forced into that realization that I cannot do everything by myself. Um, so, so Jessica, it seems like every time you thought you couldn't get, you couldn't go on anymore, God would give you some sort of relief. In this case, it was sharing your story with your pastor and then being able to share on social media and having all this compassion come out to help you and want to support you when you thought you had to be the strong one to help everybody else. Right. And that gave you then the energy and the drive to continue on when you thought you couldn't anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that, that fall really 2019, that time, I really came to a place of acceptance not that I didn't want to get better and not that I wasn't going to keep working for it, but that if this is what I have to deal with in my life, if this is what's going to make me a better person, I'm okay with it. I'm going to accept it. Um, and like, really, I didn't know how bad I would get. I didn't know if I was going to get better or if I was going to get worse, if I was going to die. And so I, <laughs> there was a, a period there where I thought, okay, I need to surrender my life. If I die, it's okay. I trust God and I believe that he has the best for me, whatever happens. And that was, that was a significant moment in my life, I think, to at, what, 27 years old, come to terms with death. And not everybody goes through that for sure. But I think that it helped me appreciate life more and be so much more grateful for what I've been given. Um, so it's, it was hard, but not at all something I regret. 
So walk us through now. This is around the holidays. Thanksgiving just ended. You're going into the Christmas season. You're off the antibiotics. You're starting to get an outpouring of support from the community. What happens next in your healing journey? Well, let's see. That, so soon after I came off antibiotics, which of course now looking back, I can expect this. I had destroyed my gut. So I started having terrible acne, um, really painful, really horrible. And I was trying to figure that out. I was like, oh, now what's going on? <laughs> and um, I, I think at the end of, well, at the end of, oh, let's see, I'm getting my story mixed up. So that was January. And then, so I was just trying to, just cope through the next few months. And then that May, I went to a different practitioner uh, here in town who is more specializing in hormones because I thought, well, my hormones must be messed up. And I went to her and told her my background and Lyme disease and what was going on and everything and about the antibiotics. And I really don't know why this had not entered my head before, but she's like, oh, well, you probably messed up your gut. Let's work on that. <laughs> and told me that everything I was doing with Lyme disease, she's like, I don't know about Lyme disease. You're doing what I would have told you to do. So don't waste your money here. I, I'm, I'll tell you this and then I can't help you whole, a whole lot more, which I really appreciated her honesty with that. Um, but yes, I started taking glutamine, which helped a ton, um, helped healing my gut. I went off dairy for a while. Um, actually, I had been off gluten this whole time because uh, when I moved down to Klamath Falls, I just didn't buy bread and I didn't eat bread a ton and didn't, I had tried different things to try to you know work with those arm sores and going off gluten was the one thing that seemed to make a little bit of difference. And so when I moved, I quit, I went off gluten and actually, um, when uh, a few months into my time here, I got invited to somebody's house for dinner and I forgot to tell them that I wasn't eating gluten. And then it was like, oh, well, I'm not going to tell them now and I'll just eat it. It's not going to kill me. I instantly had a cold, like cold symptoms. And I was like, okay, that must be why I was always sick. And so that really confirmed to me that I needed to be off gluten. And so this whole time, I think that that was one factor that kept me from getting as bad as I could have been with Lyme disease. I was already, and I was already eating fairly clean, didn't eat a lot of sugar, ate good foods. So I think that my diet really helped prevent me from going as deep as I could have been in Lyme. And so now with my gut health stuff, I decided to go off dairy, really strictly off sugar, um, work, just really work on my gut health, which I did. I took probiotics, did another berberine cleanse, um, and that helped a lot. I'm still, I mean, now it's been over a year since coming off antibiotics and I'm, um, oh goodness, it's been two years now since coming off antibiotics and I'm still seeing effects of that. I'm still healing my gut. I'm pretty close, but, um, that, that took a pretty heavy toll. Um, so that was 2020. And of course, 
COVID, the hyperbaric oxygen chamber broke the week before COVID. And so that was the end of that for me. Um, haven't gone back since. Um, and then 2020, yeah, I just kept pretty steadily on the herbs. Um, actually, when was it? I think it was, it was around the time I got off antibiotics. I realized that it was not financially sustainable for me to continue on samsara herbs. And they had reformulated and I had had a different brand in between there as well. And it was, it was very expensive to be going through a bottle every couple of weeks or whatever. And so I had read Dr. Rawls book, Unlocking Lime, and he talks about a bunch of different herbs in there. And so I'm like, I know how to make capsules. <laughs> I'm going to just make my own. And so I did all the research. I just probably spent days like searching online for all of the herbs that I needed and buying stuff in bulk. Like I sourced stuff from all over. I got Japanese knotweed from the UK or something. And like, I was, I just pulled in everything, had my pieces, mixed it all together and put it into capsules. And I listened to Chick Bootcamp while I made capsules. <laughs> so I was learning and making this stuff and saving a ton of money, even though some of those herbs are worth their weight in silver. <laughs> but, um, that, so that's what I was taking now. I was not buying pre-formulated herbs anymore. And that's what I've continued to this day to, to use as a, my own custom well, blend. Your custom blend, was that based off of Dr. Rolls's recommendation, his restore yeah. kit and the Buner protocol? It was, I kind of, I took what was on the Samsara bottle, researched those, uh, researched the ones in Dr. Rawls' book, the Booner Protocol, um, and just like put together what I felt was the best fit for me because there were herbs in the Samsara that, you know, were the Bezio oriented, oriented that I didn't feel like I needed. And so just, I did a ton of research to figure out what exactly was going to be the best fit for me and just formulate something just for me. And so that's what I did. And it was very helpful. So after you went off the antibiotics, it sounds like you, gr you gradually started to get a little better and better and better because you were continuing on the herbs and also addressing your gut health. Is that, is that a good assessment of the, the time, you know, yeah. directly after the antibiotics? Yeah. So that period right after coming off the antibiotics, um, gut health was, had to be a priority. <laughs> And, and you went back to berberine again. So I have to imagine that that's a, that was a powerful gut herb for you to do those types of cleanses. Yeah, that helped. And I, um, I've done that probably at least once a year since, since this whole thing. And that just like re recharges gut health for me. So that, I found that helpful. And the glutamine is, is also for your intestinal health, but it also strengthens your immune health. So I think that's, you're, you're getting a a double benefit out of that for your, for your intestines, but also strengthening your immune health to combat whatever else was going on. Yeah. And what else was, was, was there anything else you were doing besides the herbs, the berberine the, and the glutamine at that point for the year after coming off the, the antibiotics? Um, I did some probiotics again, not kind of weak ones. The glutamine I think was the biggest help. I was, I did that for six weeks and my acne was like 75% better. 
So it was, a, it was definitely making a difference for me. And then, yeah, just staying on those herbs. I was also taking, I take turmeric, which helps my joints and then uh, Hawthorne. And those were the, those were the other two main herbs that I would, you know, buy in bulk and capsulize myself. Um, the Hawthorne, I could definitely see a difference with my heart on that one for sure. So we didn't, we didn't skip the part because you did mention earlier on about having a protozoa based, you know, parasitic infection. We haven't gotten there yet, right? No, we, we haven't got there Okay. Yet. So to make sure we didn't <laughs> miss that. <laughs> So this is sounds like it's all of tw- all of 2020 essentially because you stopped the, antib- the antibiotics around the beginning of 2020 and for that full year you were just recovering from the gut damage to your to your body from the antibiotics and, and adding in all the herbs we just discussed. So that kind of takes us through almost Christmas of of 2020. So walk us through you know that time and what's happening now and what you're doing with your health at that at that point. Well, actually, in December 2020. I had been talking with a friend from up home and she had gone to a muscle response testing practitioner up, um, up in the Valley in Oregon. And so I decided I was going to try that out. And I got an appointment for when I was up home with my family for Christmas. Um, cause it's like an hour away from where, where they live. And so I went in there and she was wonderful. I had never done any kind of muscle response testing or anything like that before. And, you know, it sounds a little weird when you first start out, but it was very accurate. Like she was picking up the things that I needed. She found, um, my liver needed support, my spleen, um, thymus, thyroid. And she also picked up that, um, protozoal parasite that, um, probably not. I don't think she found that at the first visit, but a few into it, she found that. And so I was on, um, she put me on some enzymes and I was taking support for the organs. And then later on I had a homeopathic treatment for the parasites. So these, these enzymes were, are these enzymes that she was selling you that were proprietary, like from, from her office? Yes. Yeah. So this, this muscle response testing practitioner, it was muscle testing essentially, right? Where they hold up, is this where they hold up vials of different things and, and you have to see how your, your body reacts. Can you walk us through the process? Cause we've heard it. Yeah. It's um, different so for she, some people. Yeah. I know it's like different practitioners do it differently. She has you lay down and then um, lift your arm and then she tests the reflexes on the arm. And so she'll just like lay the things on your chest and test against them to see uh, what the body's response is to all these different um, stimulus that she's putting on. So she's got um, different like vials for bacteria and things that she tested. And, um, and then of course the supplements, testing the supplements, which ones are gonna make your body stronger. And so that's how she came to the the conclusion of what supplements I needed. So how does that work? So you're, you're laying down and she's putting a vial of something on your chest. And if it's a pathogen, if your if your muscle response or your push response is weaker, then then you're then that's where you need help or you have that pathogen. Is that the idea? Yeah. So if your body is reacting to that, then it's showing that there's something going on there. And is so. it the is it the opposite for the supplement? So when they put the when they put the supplement on your chest, 
how do you know that if that's going to be a helpful supplement or is that or not? Is that is that are you going to be a, have a stronger response? Yes, it makes it strong. So now you're so it, it sounds so crazy, but so many people have had so much success on this. I mean, I can't tell you, and Rich is mm-hmm. sitting here chatting with me. So many people have had great success with muscle testing, and it's so interesting on how it works. When you started to take these enzymes and and all the things that you got, the proprietary blend of homeopathic medicine. Did you start to feel be- even better? What was your response? Oh yeah, it's made a huge difference. I think that if I would if I would change something, I would have done this a lot sooner, um, because it's been I think the biggest help in my journey. And I know it sounds really weird, but like I try to, I try to explain it to people. Like when you touch a hot stove, your your hand is off there before you're thinking about it because your body knows. And like your body knows what's going on. And I think that we have these responses to things that we just don't pay attention to. And to, so to have somebody trained to be able to pick up those and help you see what your body is actually saying to you, <laughs> listen to your body. And that's a big thing that I think really helped me was to learn to listen to my body and just pay close attention to the smallest changes in symptoms and like how I feel 10 minutes after I eat something, you know, like what is the body saying? Because symptoms are, you know, they're signs that something's wrong. And if you're just ignoring them as I did for so long, then you're not gonna learn the lesson and give your body what it wants. I actually so- started using a symptom tracker app about a little over a year ago. And that's been helpful too, to track my progress. And then really encouraging too, to see like a year ago, this is where I was at. And now my symptoms are way down here. And so you can see what's going on and maybe see, okay, like my symptoms went up here, what was happening and what do I need to change to get them back down? So it's for, for me, like, even though I learned to pay attention, I can't hold three months ago in my brain. So it helps me see long-term what's making a difference. I think that can be really helpful. That's another thing that I would have done differently. I would have started tracking those symptoms a lot sooner. Jessica, what's the name of the symptom tracker, symptom tracker app that you use? I use Bearable. It's, it's a very comprehensive app. It's, um, you can customize it to whatever you want to track. And yeah, it's very versatile. There's a free version. I think you can have up to a month that you're tracking, but you can't see past that. So I have the paid version and it's not all that expensive. It's like 30, 40 bucks a year or something like that. <clears throat> really. So now this, this was December of 2020 and the, and the muscle testing really helped you hone in on, you need additional liver support. You had some parasitic stuff going on with protozoa and now you're using homeopathic medicine and some enzymes from this, from this muscle testing practitioner and you started to feel a lot better. So walk us through now, let's get into 2021, you know, let this past year, how has your health been since, since January and how have, has the last year gone for you? Uh, it's been a lot better. Like it's been pretty steady upward with going to the muscle response testing practitioner. Uh, I think I've gone five or six times and it's been the best, <laughs> the most impactful for sure. Um, are you still on your herbs too, Jessica? You're still using yes. your, your um, herbs? a lot less. I'm a lot, a lot smaller dosage and I'm taking 
uh, milk thistle and dandelion and those kinds of liver support stuff and various different things. So I'm taking probably like 20 pills a day, <laughs> but that's a lot less than 60. So, you know, it, it's a vast improvement for sure. Now, what else has the muscle testing practitioner come up with this year? You mentioned that you've gone back a couple of times. Have you had a change? And from what I understand about muscle testing is as you start to address some things, other things will pop that didn't show before. So has this been a year of identifying new things that have to be addressed and you're just kind of knocking things down one by one? Um, it's been pretty steady. Uh, liver health has been a big thing, which makes sense since I was not detoxing. Um, and then obviously spleen has a lot to do with immune system and the thymus and thyroid kind of came and went a little bit. And then there was like a bacteria in there at some point, I think I had some kind of bug that I was dealing with the day that I went to her, it didn't have much to do with Lyme, but, um, and then the, the parasites is the thing that we're focusing on the most right now, trying to get that down. Now these parasites, Jessica, are these, is this, this protozoa, it's a bloodborne parasite, right? It's not a GI parasite. Um, I'm not entirely sure with the muscle response testing, obviously it's not diagnostic. You can't like pinpoint exactly give this thing a, a name, but it is, um, some kind of in that family of amoeba, amoeba protozoa, the, your waterborne parasites that, yeah, they're, they're just the microscopic ones. It's not a intestinal worm or anything like that. So my final question before Rich picks back up is looking back at, you know, the last couple of years, what is, and it's probably a hard question, a loaded question here, but what's the number one tool or thing that you've done? It could be, it could be medicinal, it could be pharmaceutical, it could be herbal, and it could even be something you've taught yourself or implemented on your own. What's the number one thing that you did that you feel has helped you the most? Hmm. Um, I would say, I mean, as far as like a modality or something, the muscle response testing has been the most helpful as far as the things I've taken, probably the herbs and blending my own herbs, I think, um, made a big difference for me to be able to customize it exactly to what I need and make it affordable, which we know that chronic illness is expensive. So I've been very blessed to be able to work less and still afford my treatment, which is a huge blessing. So Jessica, let's talk about what really was the game changer for you, because I'm listening with a different ear than Matt was. And it sounds to me like the biggest game changer from my perspective was acceptance, that you had to get out of the grief cycle before you could get to the point where you could begin to heal. And it was when you made that decision to accept your condition as it was, not seeing it worse, not seeing it better, but seeing as it was that you could then build your healing plan. So talk to us about the spiritual and emotional elements of acceptance and how that was necessary before you could heal. I think you're right on that, Rich. <laughs> um, that acceptance did make a big difference. And I think that these past couple of years, especially, and, and probably this past year in particular have been really transformative and emotional healing. And I think that the emotional healing aspect has been 
just as important for me as the physical. Um, and we know that we're, we're a whole human, we're one person with emotions and a spiritual side and a physical side, and it all, it all goes together. And so that emotional and spiritual healing has been um, transformative these past couple of years. And I think that that um, growing in those areas has helped me make physical progress as well. Um, so, so, so we know that grief is a cycle, Jessica. We know that grief begins with denial. And I, and I listened to your entire story in the spirit of looking at a grief cycle. And I was challenging you on the elements of your denial when your mother even came and gave you the, the moonstruck moment where, where she showed you you were sick, but you still stayed in denial, right? And then, of course, we know the next stage in the grief cycle is, is, is going to be anger, right? Where we get angry with ourselves and you kept talking about how you were mad at yourself and how you were upset with yourself and, 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 and you were internalizing this anger, right? And then, and then we know the next step um, after, after the anger phase of, of a grief cycle is depression. And you started to fall into this depression. You started to feel anxiety and these different emotions were, 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 were developing. And then, of course, we get to our, our bargaining phase in the cycle where we begin to bargain with who we need to bargain with. And, that, you know, and that's a part of what, what I started to see. And then finally, we get to acceptance, right? And when we get to acceptance and we are truly at acceptance, one of two things is going to happen, right? And we've seen this over and over again. Either the cycle begins again and we're sort of cycling down, or we cycle up because we create something new, which is the sixth stage of healthy acceptance. And I really love the way you described it. I mean, it was just so beautiful where you said, I finally gave my life to God. And now I created something new out of, out of what he gave me. And that's how healing took place here, Jessica. So talk to us about the importance of now giving your life to God and how that was really the new creation that came out of the, that took you out of the grief cycle and allowed you to now become the person that you are, somebody who understands all of the gifts that God has given her, somebody who truly understands what gratitude is and someone who is now giving back to a community and sharing her experience just like you did today um, so that other people can go on a healing journey. I love that you're saying that, Rich. I, that's really true. Um, yeah, I can really see how I went through that cycle. And especially when it came to the cognitive aspect of illness, I mean, I can handle pain. I can, you know, if my knees hurt, whatever. But <laughs> dealing with that mental uh, trouble, it was just really hard to, because. I think in words and words are so important to me and to not be able to come up with words, not be able to speak. I mean, you understand this, Matt, like it's so hard and to not be able to write and to put something down and then hate it because it's not what I know I was capable of once. Um, that was really hard and it was something that I really had to surrender and be like, okay, my words were never mine. And because I tried to hold on to them and 
make them my identity and be prideful in this thing that I can do, like maybe that had to be taken away for a while for me to really appreciate it and be thankful for it and use it for God's glory, for the benefit of others to serve and love whoever's going to be receiving it rather than to build me up and make me, you know, build my ego. <laughs> right. So Which, you, 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 but Jessica, you, you had to become a better steward. You always yeah. had a, a heart uh, that, that brought you to stewardship, but you needed to be the steward that, that could receive what God was giving to you in something other than a prideful way, right? Mm -hmm. And and because because you needed to go through the grief cycle to ultimately get to a point of accepting where where you were, you then became the steward that you were that you were born to be, that you were created to be, so that you can now you can now take these gifts that God was giving you and sharing them with other people and help them on their healing journeys. For sure, yeah. Being a steward rather than an owner, this was not my thing. It didn't come out of me. <laughs> Um, and it was much farther down, like obviously from that end of 2019 to today, I think I've done a lot more of that emotional growth, um, coming to recognize that, yes, I was bitter and angry about losing this ability and I did need to surrender it. Um, and part of that was, uh, realizing that there was a purpose to it, that God does want to use my words. Um, in, I think it was July, 2019, um, I was asked to write curriculum for child evangelism fellowship, which had kind of been a dream of mine. Um, and this was going to be used in international ministry. So it was going to be used all over the world in Ethiopia and other places that I care about. Um, but I was scared to do it. I thought, no, I can't do this. I spend days agonizing over a 300 word newsletter how am I possibly going to write curriculum I can't do it and I so I prayed about it and I they wanted me to write a sample lesson just so they could see my writing style and whatnot and so I wrote the lesson hated it turned it in <laughs> and they accepted it and they liked it and so they gave me this project to work on a series and I started doing it and I that was it was probably well it was beginning of 2020 when I started working on that and I was definitely nowhere near like fully functioning cognitively and it was hard um it was a challenge and I didn't I wasn't fully happy with it when I turned it in it was, it was kind of just a weird process anyway, got complicated with COVID and everything. So it was, it was not like, it was not my idea of the perfect situation. And yet it happened and it's published and it's out there and it's in the world being used to help kids learn about who they are and who God is. And it's, I, I forget <laughs> that God let me do that. And it was an accomplishment and it's something that it was like, okay, it can't be my words because I don't have any, it's got to be yours. And he gave it to me. And I think that that experience helped me. It was kind of, it was the test of my surrender of 
that thing that was mine, my words. And, and he's allowed me to have my words back. Not, definitely not easily like they once came. Everything is still hard. And I think it's because I care much more now than I used to. And I want my words to be worth something. Well, but um, it sounds, well, I can tell you your words mean something because I've listened to them for a couple of hours now and they're absolutely brilliant. Uh, so uh, you, you, need, you need to be at peace with that. And the other, the other thing that we have to always keep in mind when we're on this journey of curation um, and, and stewardship um, is that there's another side to pride, right? I mean, pride, of course, with hubris is something that is a sin, and it's, and it's something we have to be careful uh, not to find ourselves in a prideful place, as this life lesson has, uh, and this whole podcast has shared with you, shared, you, you shared with us. But then there's the other side of this, right? And you have to make sure that you understand that when you are, when you are doing what you've been created to do, you're not an imposter. You, know, you have to get away from the imposter syndrome. You have to get away from feeling like you're not good enough or you can't do it. When you're doing what you've been created to do, you can have an element of appreciation. You can have an element of healthy pride because if you get too far um, away from um, appreciating the gifts that God has created in you, then you're not going to do what he's calling you to do either, right? And that's that balance we have to strike between not being prideful but also, of course, not allowing the doubt of this imposter syndrome to prevent us from doing what we're called to do. And we have to be right in that channel to do the work that you're supposed to be doing, which is, I think, the sort of the final lesson that you learned here by being faithful enough to do something you doubted you had the capacity to do. And it was published and it's being used and it's being used all over the world. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's something that I've been learning a lot probably just in the last few months, um, I'm part of this community of Christian artists called The Rabbit Room. And just being, interacting with all of these people who create beautiful things and are just so gifted and talented and they're using it in a way that is not prideful and it, it is serving people. And that's something that I've learned to hopefully imitate a little better. And just realizing that there is a place for me here there's a place for my work, there's a place for my art, and that I have something to give that nobody else can. And to say, oh, well, nobody wants my work and I'm no good at anything, that's pride too, because it's, it's saying, well, God can't use me, which is not true. I know he can. He's given me something for a purpose and it's my responsibility to be obedient and to use that. And well, but Jess, I'm, I'm going to disagree with you for one minute because I, I think I don't think it's the opposite of pride. I think that's imposter, right? I mean, I think it's the opposite of pride. I think it's prideful for us to believe we we can save the world. We are right. the people. We're the ones that are going to save everyone. That's pride. But mm -hmm. the imposter syndrome is the opposite, right? And we have to be careful that the, you know it's the same coin, but it's an opposite perspective and it's not being right. prideful and saying i can't do it right it's 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 believing that you cannot do it that you were not created with a certain purpose that you do not have a purpose that you do not have gifts that you're not unique and special that you're not a representation of god's creativity yeah which is yeah. which is okay. just as bad because you're ultimately not doing what you were created to do 
right? So let's tie this, let's tie this in, right? Because I think what's beautiful about this is that you are, you're a Christian model of what we see in almost every single one of the podcast episodes that we've done where people have healed, right? And what healing requires is for people to go through a process of getting through the grief cycle, ultimately discovering their purpose, and then their purpose becomes the vehicle that they use to ultimately go on their healing journey, right? And that's what you did here. That's what you did. God created you with a, a unique and special way, and that you are you were created to be um, in ministry, and you are now in ministry, and you're doing it the way God created you to do it. But everyone's not created for ministry. Everybody, everyone is created uniquely the way God created them for their purpose. So talk to us about how now you've listened to our podcast, and I'm not looking for an advertisement for the Take Bootcamp podcast, but talk to us about how you learn so much of the same pattern appearing in different ways where some people some people um, are, are supposed to be uh, advocating on social media, and some people are, are, are advocating in the health community, and, and, and there are all kinds of different ways that God has created us in a unique and special way to, uh, to make a difference in this community. Hmm. Yeah, well, obviously, I've talked extensively about my writing, and I've got my poetry, and hopefully publishing soon, but um, actually, I do feel that God is calling me to use my experience in, um, you know, just going through the chronic illness journey to help other people and to give them the tools that they need so that like me, they don't have to go and study it all out for themselves because not everybody can do that the way I did. I feel like even since that's the way God made Jessica. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, and I, again, like going back to those things that God planted that are bearing fruit now, like when I was learning to read at five and, you know, stealing my mom's ABC herbal off the shelf. Like God was putting that in me that I had this like fascination with health things that was actually going to potentially save my life. But beyond that, now I get to use that to help other people and um, encourage them, help like equip them with the study that I have so that they can you know, not have to go through quite the same experience. And that's been, I mean, that's another just big God thing in my life is how I got to that point because last, well, let's see, last year, again, it was kind of all happening at the same time, this, this emotional healing and moving forward into the next thing for me. Um, I think it was November 2020, somewhere in there. Um, I was like, you know, I, I know all this stuff, but am I just going to keep it in my head? Like other people need to know this. And so I, I made my, um, my health Instagram account and just started posting stuff. It's like, well, somebody will read it and, um, connecting with more, you know, of your podcast guests on, on Instagram and things like that. And just thinking about like, what can I do with this? How can I use this as a ministry now? And so like, it just became more and more like on my heart that I wanted to do something with this to where I'm thinking about it. am I, when I'm at work and it's just kind of a distraction (laughs) actually, but I can see now God's like moving me in this direction because it is another form of ministry to help people be the best they can be so that they can fulfill the ministry God's calling them to. And um, 
so this this year actually this year's just been crazy um in this spring i was thinking about this and i had heard about this um the school trinity school of natural health they're all online um courses and i have a friend who had taken one of their short courses so i'd looked into it before years ago and i thought oh someday in the fanciful future i'm gonna take courses from them and i looked into it and it just suddenly looked so attainable it just clicked and they had just added a certified lyme specialist course and i looked at the syllabus and half of it was stuff i already know and i was like well this makes perfect sense i know what i'm supposed to do and so i lined up all these courses that i wanted to take in the order i was going to take it and when i was going to do it and what it was going to cost and then i just had this whim. I was like, I'm just going to call them and talk to an advisor and see what they say. And so I told her what my thought was and my plan. And she's like, no, you don't need to, you don't want to do that. You need to take this course first. And actually it's starting in a couple of weeks and we're having this sale that we never do for our 30th anniversary. And it's a thousand dollars off tuition. And I was like, okay, sign me up. <laughs> and actually this is another cool part of the story i had just bought a house last year and i uh decided to get solar on it which was another i'm not spontaneous i usually think for months or years about a decision and this was like a one week decision and which was really cool and worked out a lot of things that had to get done um but that was the week that i was supposed to put the money down on the solar which i didn't have to put anything down if i didn't want to but so I had this money that I had saved. A few days later, I wouldn't have. I was just going to throw all my savings at the solar. <laughs> and so, like, I had the tuition at that moment. And so it was like so abundantly clear I was supposed to do this. And so I'm in school right now, loving it, learning lots. And I'll be finishing at the end of February and starting um health coaching i'm gonna do like online consulting with people um so yeah i'm really excited about that i i love that jess i, I love that and let, so i, I want to talk with you about one more thing and that is the pattern of stewardship right and, and this is an observation we made actually with the young one we interviewed this morning today and i've been watching this in matt right so when you when you show yourself to be a good steward, meaning you have now received something from the community, for example, and you've learned about one thing, and you now offer that, what you've taught back to the community as a steward, you now get more revelation and you now heal. And then as you offer more, you get more revelation, you feel. Now I've watched Matt over the course of two years go from a place where he couldn't even do podcasts with me. I don't have Lyme disease. And I'm doing Lyme podcasts because Matt was too sick to do them, right? And that was kind of frustrating and something <laughs> I had to grow from, right? But now Matt has not missed a podcast in a year, a year and a half. Why? Because he's healing and he's healing and he's healing. Because what's happening is Matt is giving to the community. So he receives more and he gets better. And then he gives more to the community and he gets better. And, it, and, and, this, and this pattern has been developing in Matt as a steward which we saw in this woman, Bianca, this morning. And now you're showing in spades where you've given, you receive more. You give, you receive more. And that's really the gift of stewardship where it's not just about being a superhero and giving without anything in return. 
you get more and you heal and you get better. And one of the things I loved about your um, questionnaire, uh, which I want to point out before you re react to this, is that you've indicated that you're 105% better. And I believe that's because of your stewardship and what stewardship ultimately means to people like you and Matt, who are giving so much to this community. So give me your reaction to that. Oh, yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, yeah, as I've given what little I have to give at certain times, it's it's come back to me abundantly. And I'm just so grateful for everything I've received. And yeah, I think the 105%, yeah, I am physically the best I've ever been in my adult life, for sure. Um, even though, you know, even just in the past few months, I had a little downturn, uh, which was emotionally related, <laughs> but it's like, even with the physical things that I still deal with, I am emotionally a completely different person. Spiritually, I've grown so much and the, all of the pain and the experiences that I've been through, I would not trade it for anything because it's made me who I am and I love who I am. I love who God's created me to be, who he's growing me to be. And like everything that I am and do, it still doesn't come easy, but I know that I have a gift to give and somebody needs it. So I need to offer it. And I'm just grateful that I get to. <laughs> it's a privilege, it really is. So now I'm going to ask you for help on one more thing, as we ask every one of the guests on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. And, you know, one of the people that really moved me, at least in your story, was your pastor, um, who was an ear for you and ultimately brought you to a place of community so he could help you get through this grief cycle. And whether he knew he was doing that or not is not relevant, but what is, what is relevant is that he did help there. So let's say, God forbid, the pastor who was so wonderful to you came walking into your room right after this podcast and he had a tick biting him on his arm. What would you recommend that he do so he wouldn't have to go on a chronic Lyme disease journey? Oh, goodness. Remove it properly, first of all. <laughs> Don't just rip it off, which I've been guilty of doing with people before. <laughs> it's easy to do when you freak out and you see it. But then keep it, send it to get tested so you can see what you're dealing with. Um, get on herbs right away and just start taking care of your health because if your immune system is strong if you are just taking care of the foundations then your body's going to be able to handle it and fight off um so it's just about yeah taking care of your foundations and then just yeah trust it to the lord and let him take take care of you jessica smith i can't thank you enough for sharing a beautiful story with the tick boot camp podcast thank you Thank you for listening to the Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Jessica Smith. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Jessica Smith, please visit her Instagram page at New Road Health or JTS Rider. Second, if you enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of this post. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick by Blueprint. It has been inspired by the information that has been provided to us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com to view the blueprint. Please note we would appreciate any input or any improvements you would like to share with us. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. And finally, we thank you, our community, for your comments on our episodes from the past. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on iTunes, on Instagram, or on our website. 
We make it a point to read every single one of the reviews you share with us. Thank you, as always, for listening.